and welcome to episode 22 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna and as always I will be your host. This episode is the third episode in our little mini-series where we're looking at African-American history or Black American history and where that intersects with Black British history and, you know, the points where these two things kind of collide or the people that transcend these borders of of being, you know, African-American heroes to then becoming heroes maybe in Black Britain. And so today we are thinking about a man called Ira Aldridge and I don't think many people will have heard of him. He was labelled one of the 100 Great Black Britons in a book by Patrick Vernon and Angelina Osborne that came out last year. 100 Great Black Britons is a kind of ongoing campaign um, where we think about black British heroes um, and 100 of them at a time are collected and this was collated into a book. Um, It's a wonderful book to read and kind of go through the different people that have been honoured um, by these these two. And yeah, Ira Aldridge is one of those people in this list. Um, it's interesting that he is in a book honouring great black Britons, because when you find out about his actual life, you, you might contest this, you know, you might agree, you might say, oh, maybe that was a mislabeling. Um, but I definitely understand, obviously, why he's in that book here. He definitely deserves his place there. I feel like most people won't know about him because he's not really spoken about. Um, he is, you know, in the field of theatre and plays. And I think that's that's an area where we don't really think too much about the history of unless you study maybe literature and you're looking at the context of a certain play or book um so yeah I thought it was quite interesting to to speak about Ira Aldridge today um he is I think one of those figures that have not been properly written into history and I wanted to shed some light on his story so Ira Aldridge was born in New York City which is where I guess my uh questions about him being called a black Briton come into play although I'm not suggesting that to be a black Briton, you need to be born in Britain. Not at all. Um, Anyway, Ira Aldridge, born in New York uh, to Reverend Daniel and Lorana Aldridge in 1807. So we're talking early 19th century, um, July 24th, 1807. And it wasn't until age 13 that he went to school. He went to the African Free School in New York City, um, which was established actually by the New York Manumission Society um, for the children of free black people and slaves. So you have this school set up specifically to educate um, free black people and, you know, the children of slaves, which is great in many ways because um, in those days, and, you know, you could argue now, education is going to allow for, in some ways, social mobility, better prospects in life. That's definitely the case for Ira Aldridge. Um, This education he is given is monumental and definitely a big reason for his success that he had in his life. Um, He was given a classical education there. They studied English grammar, writing, mathematics, geography and astronomy. Now, remember, we're talking about 1807. So, the slave trade um, has been abolished, the transatlantic slave trade. However, slavery is still very much legal. It's alive and kicking in Britain and the British colonies and in America um, and also in Spanish colonies as well around the world. So slavery is definitely still a thing. You know, black people are enslaved in certain places in the world and in a position 
where they lack the ability to be free in many places. So, you know, Ira Aldridge for a black man, a black boy, I guess, in this time, um, he's got quite the step up having an education. So his early exposure to the theatre at this school included him watching plays uh, from the high balcony of the Park Theatre in New York, which was a leading theatre at the time. He was also able to see Shakespeare's plays at the African Grove Theatre. And his acting experiences kind of began in the early 1820s with the African Company. Um, And that was a group founded by a man called William Henry Brown and a man called James Hewlett. And they built um, the African Grove Theatre in 1821. Um, And it was the first resident African-American theatre in the United States. The company was quite short-lived, but I think that alone, the fact that Ira Aldridge was part of something so monumental, um, was definitely probably, you know, a reason for his later success in life. Um, The theatre company was quite short-lived, as I said. Um, There were protests by neighbours, there were attacks by rival companies, racist parodies, um, and, yeah, the... Critics did not want to see black people in theatre. They wanted to see white people in blackface as caricatures of black people. That was how theatre worked then. Um, And for a long time after the kind of time frame we're speaking about, uh, minstrelsy in America is a big deal, um, in Britain too. And, you know, racist tropes and stereotypes are portrayed through the blacking up of white men who would get on stage um, and act in a stereotypical, uh, cartoonish, animalistic-like fashion, um, portraying black people. So the fact that black people were now on stage, not mocking themselves, but simply playing roles um, that were were written for a whole host of people, um, was a problem for most people. And this problem really does hit Ira in many parts of his career, especially um, in in England, which we will get to shortly. So, um, Ira Aldridge, he made his acting debut in um, the United States. He played Rola, a Peruvian character, in Richard Brinsley Sheridan's Pizarro. Now, just like many um, black people at the time, you know, he felt the persistent discrimination, the racism, the prejudice... Um, but especially so as a black actor in the United States at a time where, you know, slavery is still very much happening. Um, And I think the idea that maybe for white people in America, they could see black people in a in a position of inferiority in their eyes um, and in a position of submission to white people and whiteness. I think I think that gave maybe gave them wings um, to hold all black people to a certain standard of inferiority, um, which we know, which isn't really a shock thing about that time. It's not really something that's arguably changed much. But I think, you know, Ira Aldridge knew that he was great. That's what I will say. I really do. I think this man must have had bags of confidence and self-belief and ambition because he said, I'm not going to stay here and endure this in the United States. And I don't know many people in history that do that. I know they they would rather maybe change career, change path or take another route to get to the end goal or, you know, their life then becomes a mission to fight racism and fight racial prejudice. But in Ira Aldridge's case, he says no. He gets on a ship 
and heads to Liverpool, England in 1824 with another actor called James Wallach. And off he goes. He he says Britain might be better. Um, he will have more of a shot there. And that's what he decides to do because, remember, um, Britain have just gotten rid of the slave trade and they are moving towards conversations are happening about abolishing slavery. I mean, it doesn't get abolished until 1833 and we're talking about 1824 um, at the moment. So, you know, the idea that black people might have more freedom in Britain was clearly on Ira Aldridge's mind and with that he decided to leave. So age 17, Ira Aldridge finds himself in London and, you know, to be an actor and to get roles, nothing has really changed. You kind of need to have some recognition. You need to have a name behind you. You need to, people need to know who you are. They want to be able to book you because they know you'll you'll sell out the theatre. People buy tickets because they want to see you. Um, that's the same now, whether it's movies or the theatre, and that was the same then. So, Ira Aldridge, <laughs> as I've said, this man, he's full of ambition, and I think he definitely knew how good he must have been, because he decides that in order to, to be successful and to book shows, he has to create a story. So he creates a story of his African lineage claiming to be a descendant of the Fulani princely line. And just for some context, the Fulani... Um, people were an ethnic group and they were spread over quite a few countries but predominantly in West Africa but they're also found in Central Africa and Sudan and East Africa um, but mainly present in West Africa and they're all the name is Fulani in most records but I think they also go by Fula or Fulbi um, and they all kind of derive from different languages um, but meaning the same thing essentially. Um, and so Ira Aldridge claims to be um, one of these people and of the princely line um, of the Fulani people, um, which is very, very interesting, um, and what that did for his career. So, age 17, May 1825, Ira Aldridge first appears on a London stage, amazing, in a low-profile production of Othello. And then in the spring of 1825, he is in The Revolt of Suriname, or um, also known as A Slave's Revenge, at the Royal Coburg Theatre, which is actually the site of the Old Vic in London now. Um, and that was kind of his big, high-profile debut. And then he becomes the first African-American actor to establish himself professionally in a foreign country, which is where the accolades um, and the kind of titles start rolling in. Now... 1825, that is a very long time ago. Obviously, you know that. Um, but when we think about, you know, some of the great black Britons, we often think about people in the Windrush era. And I'm really happy that we were able to, to take it back to the early 19th century um, to look at Ira Aldridge and his story. Um, because as we know, and as I've said, black people did not play black people on stage in those times. And even later on, white people played black people in blackface. And so the fact that Ira Aldridge is now playing, you know, Othello, this is a big Shakespearean play. Shakespeare is in writing in the 15 and 1600s, so this is 200 years plus, you know. Shakespeare is still probably as loved as he is now and was then. Um, and, you know, Ira Aldridge, as a black man, is playing Othello. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's also claimed that he is of a princely Fulani line, so maybe that was part of it and maybe he knew that that was the leverage he needed to get himself casted in these roles okay so 
he got the roles, you know, he got himself on stage, but the response. Now, what do you think the response is going to be when I say, you know, he's a black man playing black roles um, and even playing roles that weren't necessarily for um, a black man? The results were hostile, of course, um, from the critics. Critics were not happy. They reacted with hostility. They didn't like it. They didn't want to see any more. Um, and he was slated, essentially. However, this is where I'm talking about Ira Aldridge's confidence in his own abilities and his own ability to wow a crowd because audiences loved him. And this is what kept his career going. Now, any aspiring actors are listening, the audience gotta love you. I don't know if that's the same now. I have no acting training at all in my life. But the fact that the audience wanted him and the fact that the audience were obviously buying tickets and, you know, funding these productions by way of ticket sales, you know, he was called back to stage and he was able to develop a repertoire of, you know, roles in Othello, which is obviously big Shakespearean roles, in abolitionist melodramas, comedies, musical farces, and it was noted that Aldridge could actually perform as many as 16 different roles on demand. This is from the book 100 Black Britons, by the way, um, the chapter on Ira Aldridge. 16 different roles. You might be thinking, oh, well, yeah, that sure, he's an actor, it's his job. But apparently, you know, back then actors would normally play three roles in an evening. He was doing 16. And all I'm hearing now is, you know, as a black person, you have to work 10 times as hard or twice as hard to get half as much, Um, you know, 16 times by three is a lot more than twice as hard, so you can see he's clearly putting in the work, and he's clearly very very much a skilled actor, Um, I think by the end of his career, he had a repertoire of around 40 characters in his head, that shows not only his talent, but his hard work, his dedication to his craft, he was not going to let anyone, you know, outperform him, essentially, or pick up a role that he couldn't do because he had mastered so many. And if you think he's going from musical farces to Shakespearean comedies, tragedies and histories, uh, melodramas and comedies as well um, that weren't Shakespearean, his repertoire and his range was just phenomenal when you think about it. Um, So Ira Aldridge, by about 1833... He's still kind of struggling to get roles, but the audience is kind of also carrying him through. So he returns to London to play um, Othello, actually, at the Covent Garden Theatre. He only performs uh, for two nights. Critics are absolutely savage, laying into him. They don't like it. Um, And it's noted that they didn't like his manner, his voice, his accent, and they didn't like his colour. None of the things I'm surprised by. His accent, actually, is quite interesting. I don't... I would assume it would be somewhat American-twinged. But then also Americans then didn't have the American accent that we now know because 1825, um, you know, there's still quite a few generations of... There are only a few, sorry, there are only a few generations into to free America um, and they're still the descendants of British people, so the accents are still somewhat British. Um, and then also, you know, probably twinged with the Shakespearean dialects and all that other stuff. So I would be quite interested in to, to know what his accent would have been like. I don't know if there would be any one that would have this information. Like, I don't know how a historian would maybe pick this up because obviously there were no recordings and I don't know if anybody ever commented on his his accent, although the critics definitely didn't like it. 
Um, but yeah, he won praise from audiences again. Um, and so he performed for around 19 years more um, in the provinces. And he kind of does a lot of work on Shakespearean um, dramas. So he plays Shylock, Richard III and Macbeth. And if any of you are thinking, yeah, these are roles for white men. These are definitely roles for white men. Shylock the Jew in The Merchant of Venice, um, Richard III, obviously in Richard III, one of the histories, and Macbeth in Macbeth. Um, you know, he's not playing Othello anymore. He is playing roles that are for a white man. And I'm sure that was ruffling many, many more feathers because now he's not only just doing the roles that white men were doing to in blackface, he's now doing roles... Um, in whiteface um you might be thinking what is whiteface and i don't know if whiteface is the right word i always there's some words you just can't flip um but essentially he would have used grease paint to um whiten his face to play these roles because colorblind casting wasn't a thing then um so yeah he would have you know essentially been really made up to look white um to take on these roles and again that was not it was not accepted it was fine if if white men were blacking up their faces to play black characters and to mock them and to do minstrelsy but it was not okay for a black man to be playing white characters um i guess that can clearly highlight the double standard we are dealing with here in britain in 1852 ira aldridge embarked on a tour of europe um and he returns to england actually after about three years but i think this is another example of Aldridge knowing his worth and knowing where he's appreciated and going there to make his money. Um, so in Europe, he is, you know, booked and busy. He's going from Russia to um, to France to Poland and he's performing um, tragedies. He's performing Shakespeare's work. He is, you know, he's getting the roles. And I think it's very important to note that, you know, whilst he wasn't succeeding in the way that he wanted to in London, he was in other countries in Europe. Um, and I guess maybe that could lead us to understand maybe different race relations and racial tensions that were happening on the continent. Um, we don't often think about, well, not on this podcast anyway, um, racism in other European countries. And I wouldn't want to make comparisons because I don't think that's helpful. But there's clearly differences because he is doing very well um, when he is away and not in London. He comes back with honours and awards, but, you know, he still can't find, like, a regular gig in London acting. And, yeah, I think that kind of highlights, you know, the racial situation, shall we say, in, in the UK um, when it came to, to black men playing themselves and others on stage and being on stage and being visible when you think about it, this is like 19th century Britain and we don't really see or or know of necessarily um, in the mainstream of history uh, black people that were prominent because they are kind of erased. And being on stage, being an actor, being a person that conveys a story that's, you know, been written by a playwright or whoever, you are visible you're visible in the newspaper because the critics are writing about you. You're visible on playbills. You're visible in spaces of entertainment. And that clearly was not OK uh, for British people at the time. And I think that's what that speaks on more so than necessarily thinking about, um, you know, overt or covert racism or institutional racism, which isn't so much of a thing then because 
their institutions are definitely not going to serve black people because they're so few in number. And also, um, you know, 1852, we're talking about whilst slavery in the colonies has um, ended, you know, black people are still not in a position where they have equal rights in any way, shape or form. Um, and how quickly can people change a mindset of, of one day, you know, black people are to be enslaved um, and to be used for labour and the next day they're not and we know that slavery didn't just end and everybody was set free there was a long six-year period of apprenticeship and then black people continued to work the land um, in the colonies anyway um, and to work in the same roles of agriculture because that's all they knew that's all they had kind of grown up to do and be able to do anyway we're kind of branching off there definitely on a tangent um so let's get back to Ira Aldridge and his life um well he, I think, fortunately for him, he spent his final years performing in France and Russia um, and Poland. He was acclaimed as one of the greatest tragedians of all time. He unfortunately died while on tour in Poland in August 1867. And, you know, earlier than I think maybe he was expected to, it, it, it does kind of read that he died quite suddenly. Um, he was married. He was married twice. He had um, two children that survived, I think, into adulthood, um, one of whom both of them, I think, became singers or classically trained. And one of them was actually the vocal coach for Paul Robeson, um, who was a big, big um, singer, actor and political activist in the uh, 20th century. Um, and yeah, so Miss, I think, Amanda Aldridge she was his uh, vocal coach which is quite interesting that that legacy kind of continued into a man as great as Paul Robeson who I'm sure many of you will know um, or if not if you go and have a research you'll definitely know some of his tunes I'm sure of it. So Ira Aldridge the first major black Shakespearean actor in Europe and one of the most talented actors of his day I would say. Now, his career obviously spanned, you know, his life. Um, until he passed away, he was acting. And I would like to note, though, he never actually performed um, again in America. I think it was clear that he knew where he was wanted, appreciated and could find work. And America was not that place. Um, and I think that's why I kind of wanted to, to speak about him today. Just to think about... Um, not necessarily the racism in America, but just to think about how great this man was in able in his ability to find a moment and a space for himself in the theatre and the act and the acting scene. I think that is quite a very I think that's a very important skill to have in life generally, let alone, you know, navigating nineteenth century Britain, America and Europe. Um, it's so funny I never think of Britain as part of Europe I know it is you know no Brexit talks are gonna happen here um, I know we're not part of the like European Union but Britain culturally is just so far removed from Europe for me always kind of separate them as separate entities but yeah they're all one we know this um, yeah so he never he never worked again in America um, he he stopped kind of working in Britain and the European stage by European I mean French Polish um, and the Russian stage were where you know he got his accolades and where he was appreciated and that's where he stayed and I think for me having done a little bit of research in the past into minstrelsy and the oh, I would say the art of that is apparently not um it's just so like crude and vile. I hate it. Um, 
yeah, so thinking about minstrelsy in the way that white people um, would see as as entertainment to mock these caricatures of black people who were being not portrayed as as a black person. Obviously, you know, there are stereotypes surrounded with being black that aren't necessarily damaging. Some of them can just be funny. These were not anything funny. These were damaging. These are hurtful. These were animalistic representations of black people. And the fact that the expectation was that this man, Ira Aldridge, when he came on stage was to be like that, was to be like the caricatures they had seen because their proximity to black people at that time was not very, um, it wasn't very much, you know, they didn't see black people necessarily all the time. And so when they saw Ira Aldridge and expected him to come on clumsily and to be bumbling around stage acting the fool and he didn't, you know, he was a Shakespearean actor. He was clearly talented. He could have 40 characters in his head at any one time. I think that highlights his, first of all, talent, as I've said so many times, but also his diligence, his dignity, his integrity to playing these roles and not being typecasted into something that he was not and he did not wish to portray on stage at all. And so, yes, that is why Ira Aldridge is the third kind of episode in this series where we're looking at um, the histories of black Americans and black Britons and the intersections and all that and black liberation movements and everything in between. Um, but I just thought it was integral that I shared his story and I didn't really know where else it could go. But it also kind of leads into next week's episode where we will be talking about literature um, and some great african-american and black british texts that i think have influenced culture um abolition movements uh liberation movements later on nationalism um and a lot of kind of key things so yeah please stay tuned for the next episode if you're listening when this episode just came out you'll have to wait a week but obviously if you're listening later the fourth episode in this series will be available thank you so much for listening please like follow subscribe share tell a friend to tell a friend about the history hotline uh, because we just want to educate more people about black british history and black black history beyond britain so thank you so much for listening have a wonderful day bye